Welcome to the National Film Pod of Canada, the podcast with a different take on the movies. My name is George Kaplan. In this episode, we talk about the author theory. I will talk about its uh, origins in France and how it came to North America and what's it all about. Okay, so the author theory. I will start with the origins of it, which was in France, and then I will explain how it came to North America, and then I will basically give my take on the whole thing. Now, interesting to note that this theory is from France, and it was created by uh, cinephiles will remember uh, François Truffaut, famous French filmmaker. And he, before he was a filmmaker, he was a film critic. And he started in the 50s uh, being a film critic, writing for a different magazine, where he's mostly known for writing for the famous uh, Cahiers du Cinéma. And he's really the source of all this thing. He, it really kind of started with him. So we can really point to him as being the, <laughs> the reason, the cause, and all that of this uh, theory now. Truffaut himself, later on, when this theory had legs and crossed the Atlantic, mentioned the fact that this theory, which he didn't call a theory, the way he explained it, he called it the, I'll do a translation, the politics of authors. It only became a theory when it crossed the Atlantic into North America, but that's another story which I'll get to. So while now I will refer to this theory, as we know, as the politics of authors, because that's the way Truffaut called it. Now, it's interesting also to note that there is no politics in the politics of authors. It's just a way of saying, kind of a polemical weapon, as Truffaut himself said. He created this politics of authors to kind of needle or annoy, irritate the establishment of the French film industry back in the 50s. Uh, he did it because he didn't like the movies that were done or filmed uh, at that time. And he wanted to kind of put forward his own taste. And, that, and what's, what better way of doing that than writing in a film magazine? Basically, the, author, the politics of authors is never really expanded or, you know, he's uh, not Einstein, he's not a theoretician. So it's more polemical. It's more he kind of used to kind of <laughs> irritate people and to bring some attention to himself. So there is just a bunch of articles that he wrote, along with some other uh, famous critics at the time, uh, like uh, Godard and Eric Romer, who be later became filmmakers. So they wrote a bunch of articles in the Cahiers Cinema, which made the reference to politics of authors. And um, But there's no single, you can say like, start of this thing. Like there's just a bunch of articles which mention this politics of authors, but never really, really explains it. But you could read all the articles and kind of deduce maybe what it's all about, but it's not like written down in an outline, which is interesting. Um, I mean, I have actually read the, the articles. Uh, the Cahiers Cinema issued a book uh, later uh, on, I think, uh, which I have, 
Uh, I don't know if it was just translated in English, but I read it in French, and it's a collection of all the articles relating to the politics of authors. And it starts with Truffaut and has uh, uh, Godard and Eric Homer. And uh, it's very interesting. I would actually recommend, if you can find it, uh, it's actually, you know, if you want to go down to the source and get down to what this theory is uh, all about, well, that's where you would start. Now, Truffaut, like I said, wanted to, in a way, promote his favorites filmmaker as being the filmmakers. And at that time in the 50s, uh, filmmakers that we now think of as being, you know, in the pantheon of uh, great filmmakers like Fritz Lang, Hitchcock, Renoir Buñuel, uh, back in the day, in the 50s, they weren't looked up to back in the, in French, at least in the French film establishment, which is hard to believe, but it's true. So Truffaut liked those filmmakers and he didn't like the other more established films of that period, which was described back in the day as the cinema of quality, which is a pretty pretentious title, meaning that it's the type of film which is where people, you know, even today, sometimes they look at a movie, they maybe they don't like it, but they say, well, it was well made. It's that kind of thinking about movies that, you know, what's really important is it's well made. So you have like perfect photography and everybody looks good and it's a kind of a moral story that gives meaning to the audience or some crap like that. It was it stayed kind of slow, kind of very unadventurous and so on and so forth. That, that was the cinema of quality and that's what Truffaut rebelled against. And he wanted to promote his uh, favorites to replace those people. And that really is the crux of this politics of authors. That is really what it was all about. It's a bunch of people who really were critics who said, well, you know, they were they went against the establishment of that time in France. And it's good to remember that all this stuff happened in the early 50s in France. So not, not only is this, you know, politics of authors theory uh, from another country, another culture also, but it took place in the 50s. So it goes back a long way. Uh, another thing I'll say about it in the early about the early beginning is that it's this politics authors, like I said, is not about politics. Uh, all these uh, what we might call now authorists, kind of filmmakers, Truffaut, Godard, and all that. Uh, when it came to the politics of authors, they were not interested in content. Like a movie for them was more interesting uh, about this. They wanted to know more about the style, the attitude of the filmmaker towards the subject. Yes, but to do with style or form if you want they, it was very narrow as it was I would, well it wasn't defined like i said but as described in the articles it was not very uh concerned with content it wasn't political and it was very narrow it was concerned mostly with french films and hollywood movies and that's it so it didn't go very far beyond a very narrow i would say circle of filmmaking you know they didn't examine deeply uh, new films from new filmmakers or even films from other countries outside of France and the U.S. No short films, no documentaries, certainly not, nothing experimental. So in a way, they were in themselves a bit narrow-minded. I mean, they were creating this thing to kind of go against the narrow minds of, the thought of other filmmakers and taste critics of that time. But they themselves, or if you look at it, it seems that they were a bit narrow-minded themselves. So that's a bit of a paradox right there. And... What was really important to them also, besides style, was, yes, mise-en-scene. And that's a word that gets used a lot, again, and nobody ever seems to know what it really is. And so, as far as I'm concerned, it seems pretty obvious. Maybe it isn't, but I'll give you my definition and what mise-en-scene is. And it's basically the whole movie you call, I could call, 
the whole movie apparatus coming together in a given moment to produce an effect, an emotional effect. And what's, what, is the, what do I mean by apparatus? Well, everything. Like the sound, the foreground, the background, the image, the composition of the image, the colors, the acting, the dialogue, the editing, the actors, their appearance, their costume, their dialogue, their delivery, the set decoration, the art direction, the objects we see, even the off-screen space. So all these elements, and there are a lot of them, anybody who's ever made a film will know there's a lot of stuff coming together. And that's the mise-en-scene. That's all that stuff coming together in a given moment, maybe five minutes or whatever. You create a certain effect where everything kind of comes together and, you know, kind of makes movies rise above all the other arts that it's supposed to be an imitation of. So that's mise-en-scene. And that was the important thing, one of the important things for the, what it's like, of authors. Uh, This is an aside here. I'm going to close shortly, but it's, if you can be bothered to read the articles in this book, The Politics of Authors, uh, the early articles written by uh, Truffaut, was, he was very young, I, I think I forgot to say. He was like in his 20s. So it's pretty amazing that somebody would get a, a film critic job when you're 20. But he was a cinephile. He was definitely a film fan, <laughs> to say the least. And he had strong opinions, as was obvious. And in one of the articles, he's talking about a, f- a film about uh, from Abel Gans. Uh, you might remember him as the man who made the Napoleon silent movie. It was revived, I think it was in the 90s. And in the 50s, he was still alive, uh, Gans. He was making sound pictures. And he made a movie called La Tour de Nel, and Truffaut's writing about it. I just want to quote him just to showcase his enthusiasm, which is I find very uh, refreshing. He says, quote, about the actor in the movie, go see Pampanini in the movie La Tour de Nel. Go see her in other films. And if you don't see why Gans is a genius, it's because we don't have the same idea of cinema, my idea, being obviously the correct one, unquote. Now, not that many people would write like that nowadays. Uh, that's kind of in your face, you know, my opinion is better than yours because I know more. Uh, you know, but I mean, that's because he was young. But, you know, I, I must admit, I like that. That's why I bring it up because it's, it's kind of rare. And it says something about Truffaut, of course but also about the attitude that created this, the politics of authors. And finally, um, I'll kind of talk about paradox. Um, when all these filmmakers, Truffaut, Godard, and Romer, and all those, Chabot, and all that, stopped being critics and became filmmakers in the late 50s, early 60s, well, obviously, the, you know, the, the magazine still went on, so the, it was replaced by a new generation of film critics working for the Cahiers in the early 60s, and... Uh, in a weird way, all these new critics didn't like the politics of authors. They really didn't like it, and they went against it, which was kind of ironic, because that's, they were in the magazine where that basically generated this whole idea. But, you know, for every action, there's a reaction, as they say. So these new critics really hated it. The 60s was pretty tumultuous for people who lived through it, uh, you know, a lot, very political. And so now the previously the... The apolitical stance of the film critics uh, basically went away, and now the magazine took the 180-degree turn into being more for political films, Marxist, very left-leaning, uh, and they really, really complete change in direction at the magazine. But that was very uh, telling about the time, but also the fact that you know they basically went against something that uh, what started at the Cahiers du Cinéma. Okay, so now we're going to talk about 
how this theory, now called the author theory, came over to North America. And that was done by an American film critic uh, called uh, Andrew Saris. And he first wrote about it in 1962 in a film magazine called Film Culture. Now remember, the original uh, Politics of Authors, that was the original name, was first created by Truffaut in 52. So now it's 10 years later, and this is America, and Andrew Saris uh, takes it over, so to speak, or I should say, imported the, the whole uh, politics of authors and renames it the author theory. So now I'm going to refer to the author theory, but it's the same thing as the politics of authors until, well, Saris starts to make changes to it. Uh, he first wrote about it in an article called Notes on the Author Theory in 1962. So that's, the, you could say, the first time that this phrase, author theory, first makes its appearance. And uh, the reason why I'm talking about it and people talk about it even today is because of Andrew Saris. If it hadn't been for him, it would have stayed in France in a you know relatively obscure magazine, and nobody here in North America would have ever heard about it. Uh, and when he wrote about it uh, in film culture, uh, you know, film culture, another obscure film magazine, and according to Saris, uh, it basically creates a lot of controversy. Uh, not, it's not explained why, but he said himself that if it hadn't been for this controversy against this uh, author theory, it would have stayed obscure. So I guess you say controversy always uh, creates uh, publicity. And... Uh, Saris himself, so the attack about against it uh, got more publicity than the theory itself. And so controversial uh, for Saris that he had to write another essay years later uh, to explain his position on uh, author theory. And he did this in a book called The American Cinema Directors and Directions, which I would recommend. I will post a link to it in my show notes, still in print. Um, but of course, it makes me wonder, like, why, why was it so controversial back in the day, and in a way still is now? Not exactly explained. I can take a guess, but he doesn't go into the, uh, that much into the, the who did, you know, who criticized what and where and so on. I don't know. Not that clear to me. Myself, I've uh, seen a few, you know, YouTube videos, read a few, uh, listened to a few podcasts, and it's never really clear to me what, like I said, what the criticism is. The thing that pops out most of the time against this theory is the idea that, uh, you know, how they're uh, one person take the credit for a whole movie. Uh, this idea of, of basically saying that you know, one person is responsible seems to be offensive to a lot of people. Uh, but that, I think, is, I think is the main uh, criticism. I will go back, get back to uh, why that I find this is not true, not a legitimate criticism. But the thing is that there's no, like I said before, there's no real kind of monolithic block of people who kind of call themselves authorists and they all think the same and, you know, they all agree on who's an author in film and who isn't. It, it's not, uh, there's no great consensus. Like I said, this whole thing is, is a bit, sometimes a bit vague and obscure and it kind of depends. Like you read one person and it's, they think of it, the author theory as being one thing and somebody else thinks about it in another way and it's just all, all over the place like i guess with every theory or every any kind of idea that gets especially imported from another culture another country it gets distorted over time and according to uh, film critic jonathan rosenbaum uh that i might even be familiar with um i quote here authorism 
was in part a reaction against socially conscious critics who valued films above all for their content and ignored their style, unquote. So that, basically that was the original, uh, he's talking about the original theory. Like I said, the author, uh, the politics of authors by Truffaut, like I mentioned before, had nothing to do with politics. Um, and that was, he says here, I guess trying to define it, that there was a reaction against uh, socially conscious critics. And in a way, the same way that Truffaut uh, used his uh, politics to make a point uh, about the French establishment, the French movie establishment, Saris, in his uh, talk about it, like he doesn't import, you know, the whole thing um, word for word. He kind of takes, makes his own spin on this uh, politics of authors because now he called it author theory. And he kind of makes it, he, I mean, this is clear in his essay in, in film culture and in his book that uh, I'm going to quote Saris here. He says, quote, where I wish to redirect the argument is toward the relative position of the American cinema as opposed to the foreign cinema, unquote. And if you read in his book, um, basically, for reasons which escaped me at the time in the film culture uh, article, he seemed to think that the Hollywood movies specifically uh, had no, got no respect. So for some reason, he thought nobody liked movies or then take them seriously. I guess he was uh, thinking more in terms of the highbrow critics who, who write in New Yorker and, uh, you know, um, uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, more intellectual kind of magazines that they didn't think much about. Uh, he thought he, the, the author, the, the, these other writers, American, uh, I guess you could say, um, intellectuals didn't think much of Hollywood, had, Hollywood had a bad reputation, and he, Cyrus, wanted to elevate, as he says, American cinema to be to get some respect. So he's using this author theory to make, in a way, his own point. Like Truffaut did kind of needle the French film establishment, Cyrus kind of did the same thing, but for Hollywood movies. So the, maybe he was conscious of that when he first read about it in uh, uh, the original one. So he saw what Truffaut did there and he replicated it, maybe consciously or unconsciously. This is my speculation. But, but you know, I kind of, find it very strange to think that, you know, Hollywood movies didn't get any respect. I don't know. I mean, they were popular. People liked them. People, uh, you know, they had Hollywood movies pretty much had uh, literally sometimes the whole world in their hands. So it's very hard to feel sorry for Hollywood itself. My, my, so, but I guess the one thing that, according to Sarah, that Hollywood didn't have was respect, but he wanted to give it respect. Now, think of that what you will. I think it's kind of silly. But there is one thing that I do agree uh, with Sarah's he says here, I'm going to quote again, quote, The author theory is the only hope for extending the appreciation of personal qualities in the cinema. By grouping and evaluating films according to directors, the critic can rescue individual achievements from an unjustifiable anonymity, unquote. And that's true. I mean, that I do agree with, that classifying more or less movies by directors is a good way to kind of have a grasp on on the movies themselves, like what makes them work, what doesn't make them work, that I do agree with. I agree with it, and it seems almost obvious. But Saris himself says that there, quote, there is no definition of the author theory in the English language, and that is by any American or British critic, unquote. And he repeats also that Truffaut himself said that the author theory, his politics of authors, was merely a polemical weapon for a given time and a given place. Uh, Truffaut says that, and it's, it was kind of obvious. And in a way, maybe Sarah says that, you know, that's what I'm doing too. 
he's using it, like I said, for his own purposes. Whether that was obvious or not, I don't know. Obvious to people who read his theory, I don't know. But uh, anyway, but like I said, these these Hoffer theory uh, was always very vague. Like I said, there was never a declaration of principles by Truffaut about what it is, what it isn't, and these are the criteria. But Saris, importing this theory to North America, does give it some definitions, some rules. And I'm going to quote here uh, for him. Uh, he created three rules about what is this uh, author theory and what makes a filmmaker an author. Quote, uh, there are three rules. An author, one, one, an author should have technical competence. Two, the author should have a distinguishable personality. Three, we should be concerned with the interior meaning of a film, the ultimate glory of the cinema as an art, as Sarah says. Now, all this, you know, it kind of clarifies things. And maybe he kind of inferred these principles from Truffaut and from his articles. Hard to say, because both of them are not dead, so we can't ask for more details or to be more clear. So at this point, it's still just speculations. So he has his own take, and whether or not it's in keeping with the original intent of uh, the whole thing, well, like I said, nobody can know. Here's my take on this whole thing. I've tried to give you about as close as objective uh, description of where this thing uh, originated and how it came to be here in North America. I think it's pretty clear that it was Truffaut who started it. And it was Andrew Saris who brought it over to America. So that much we can say clearly without any doubt. Now, obvious that we're still talking about it. I'm talking about it. Uh, and this thing, like I said, started in the, in the 50s in another country. Here we are 60 plus years later still talking about it. Anyway, still trying to explain it. So it's amazing that a thing like that has had so much power or... Uh, longevity really because we're still talking about it and if you watch any kind of interview about with movie directors or actors sometimes you will get some critic or some somebody uh, during the interview asking the director what about the author theory you know and this is the 21st century uh you know still that question is still being asked usually people mumble some answer because they don't really know much about it but they don't want to sound stupid so they do whatever they try to be vague which is kind of telling, I guess. But the fact is, it's still being talked about to this day. Something like that's a 60 plus years old and comes from another country and another culture. So, like I said, if you're going to talk about it, might as well go back to the source, which is what I've tried to do here. Now, it's, it was obvious even to Truffaut and even Cyrus that you don't really need a theory to point to the fact that there are some filmmakers, not all, some, that are able, able to impose their personality, their vision, as they say, on their movie. And this went all the way back to the silent movie days. The, one of the beginning directors like that was D.W. Griffith. I think we could all agree with that. Eisenstein might be another one. F.W. Murnau, some of them. Even John Ford in the early days, you know, had a certain style, a certain technique, obviously technical competence. So you didn't need a theory to point this out, that when you watch, even like if you watch, like, especially a movie by Eisenstein, it was obvious who it was who made the movie, if you're even vaguely familiar with one or two of his films. So you don't, you don't need a theory to say the obvious, but that's the way it was. Sometimes you kind of need to point out the obvious sometimes, because it's not a, so obvious that it becomes invisible. You know, 
for film fans, you know, we talk about it, I talk about it, so it is a, a worthy subject to talk about, spend time on. But for the public, the average public, you know, they don't care. So I think we can say that pretty obviously. Um, they were, most people don't even know, you know, who's responsible for a film, don't really care. Uh, they might know one or two filmmakers, like Hitchcock was, was pretty much a household name, I guess. You know, they might, anyway, even today, there's still a few, like, they, they would know. George Lucas, yeah, Spielberg, yeah, sure. You know, there are some people who are more, directors who are more famous than others. So th that's true. But still, at the end of the day, the one visible sign that this theory has that influence, which is a bit kind of a trivial example, but true, is that whenever you watch any kind of Hollywood movie, uh, you'll get a credit at the beginning, which says a film by. Now, in the past, you didn't have that. You always had just one card that said directed by whatever. And that was it. In the last few years and decades, this a film by kind of title has become the norm. And it's, you know, it's almost like it's a knee jerk kind of, well, not a knee jerk, but it's a, it's like becoming like a marketing thing or a habit. But it doesn't really indicate that the, a film by whoever means that this is like a real author, that the filmmaker isn't a real author because not everyone is an author. That is the thing. Even Sarah's mentioned that, you know, just because you make a movie, it doesn't make you an author. You need to, you know, kind of, you need to, I guess, according to him, you know, subscribe to the three rules. And if you fail, then you're not an author. I'm putting it simplicity, simplistically, but that's what it is. So just because you make a movie and just because your title of the uh, beginning of the title says a film by you, whoever it is, it doesn't not, you know, but it doesn't make you an author. That's usually decided by other people. And, but that is the, the visible sign that this theory has had a lot of power in resonance, but that is at least the outward sign <laughs> that this theory uh, still is uh, in a way relevant and has had influence when you have that card title that says a film by. Now, if you ha it hasn't been clear by now. I approve of this theory. I agree with it. Uh, I think it's true. Um, the films I like, uh, I've always liked, have always been made by people who have a strong personality, who are able to impose their vision, as they say, on the film, who, whose movie style is very recognizable. I think that, for me anyway, always is a subjective thing, but that makes for always a good movie. Uh, I don't like movies made by committees. Uh, there are filmmakers who are not authors that are still competent and they know what they're doing. They have technical skills. Uh, they're able to take a good script and make a good film. But if you give them a bad script, they're going to make a bad film. Like, usually if you know what you're doing, you can take a bad script and make a good film out of it. Uh, but these people are, you know, they're competent, they're technicians. You know, I kind of include a few, uh, like Ridley Scott, maybe. He's not an author, but, you know, he knows what he's doing, most of the time anyway. Uh, so there's a lot of those types of filmmakers. But generally, it's kind of always hit and miss. And it always lacks a certain, uh, I would say, humanity. Like when you... you know, Watching a film by, I know, take an extreme example, Fellini, whose style is, you know, hits you in the face, nothing subtle there. But you always get the feeling that there's a human being behind a camera who's, who's, in a way, who's talking to you, the audience, which I like. That's the feeling I like. I think it makes movies more human, more personable, less, less, less a Hollywood product, like you're consuming a product. It's less like that, whereas authors' films, most of my authors, it's more like, Sometimes almost like a conversation between the the author and the audience. It's more more human, more humanist, I guess. 
less less a product of a consumer kind of film industry. And lastly, uh, I didn't want to go too long with this. Of course, I could talk about this forever. I would say that for people who hate the this theory or don't like it or don't agree with it, I think from what I've seen of the criticism is that it seems uh, pretentious or presumptuous for to give all the credit of the success of a movie to one person. I think that's usually the criticism uh, of it, uh, from what I can gather anyway, because it's not always clear why they hate it. And there is a point to that up only until recently, because I guess, again, if you limit yourself to what the uh, the uh, original film, uh, French film critics looked at, which was mostly French film industry products and Hollywood products, they that's very narrow. And if you're, especially if you're in the Hollywood uh, film industry, where you're making our movie, sort of the old days, the old Hollywood, you, it is was a, an assembly line, and you had like an army of technicians. It's very complicated, a lot of people to order around and all that. So a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. So it, I could see that you could point to that and saying, how can one person be responsible when you have a whole army of people and you got you know the Hollywood system? And that's true up to a point. But the fact I would argue that the fact that there was a few authors, kind of movies, Howard Hawks and all that, who who not only were they able to impose their vision on that movie, would even under the best best of circumstances, that's a hard thing to do. But if you're working in the Hollywood studio system, that's even harder. So the fact that they were successful doing this like a double act in a way, double the double uh, win, uh, that kind of proves their genius. But that's a digression. But it might be true that, yeah, even today, especially now, movies have become, Hollywood movies anyway, I'm talking about commercial filmmaking, has become, in a way, more complicated, more expensive, employs more people than the old days. Uh, you could even point to say, well, you know, if you've got like a thousand, thousand, or five thousand people, if you read the credits anyway of a movie at the end, you know, it's how could one person control everything? Again, it's that's a valid point. But... Uh, the problem is that Hollywood filmmaking isn't the norm in a sense that if you take the global view, which I do, uh, I'm interested in movies from all over the place and different genres and styles. If you take that global view, then the author theory makes perfect sense. If you just limit yourself to Hollywood and the army of technicians required to make one of those, just one, it doesn't make that much sense. It seems a bit, you know, strange that you would point to that to these the, the one out person responsible but if in the old days if you looked outside the industry the hollywood industry a lot of movies sometimes were made with very small crews and very small budgets and they were just as equally valid and good as anything coming from the assembly line of hollywood and that of course excluded like i said the the author theory excluded all kinds of stuff like animation and animation is a perfect example uh, from the beginning of movies, there was animation, where it never gets talked about in the in these th uh, theory. But some animators, uh, I know for a fact, are able to do like one of their movies, the short films, of course, by themselves. So you got one person doing a whole movie, you know, it's just a five minutes movie by themselves. Now, if they're not the authors, who is? <laughs> I mean, that's an obvious example. I mean, that's an extreme example. Most animation usually requires more than one person, but even then, if you have a small crew, like five, ten people, still, it's a lot easier for one person to impose their vision, so to speak, on the film when you have a small crew than when you have a big one. So 
to make a long story short, the theory always excluded those type of movies, which kind of was wrong of them. I, I, I don't know. It seemed very narrow to me. But let's bring it up today, 21st and 21st century, when you have digital video, where you're able to edit a movie on your computer desktop, and you can you know, have your own camera equipment, even you can buy it and own it, and you can make your movie, even a feature, with very small amount of money and very small crew. Now, if you even like a crew of like a 10, a 10 or 20 people, and you're making even a feature, and it's your own money, a lot of filmmakers, independent filmmakers have used their own money. Well, I mean, who else would be responsible for the movie but the director? I mean, he's the one who started the whole thing. And like I said, it's easier to impose your vision on 20 people than I guess uh, 10,000, of course. So now, more than ever, I would say, the author theory will become even more relevant and more, more true because of this, these changes in technology. If you limit yourself just to Hollywood and the big budget and, and all that, there'll always be questions and resentment and criticism. But the way the movie world is going right now in the 21st century, the author theory will have become almost self-evident. That's the end of the show. I hope that you are now well informed about the author theory, and next time someone brings it up, you'll be able to impress them with your knowledge. If you have any comments about the podcast, you can reach the NFP at nfpcan at protonmail.com, nfpcan at protonmail.com. Bye for now.